0: Hello and welcome to the 140th entire Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A uh, board game about podcasts and a podcast <laughs> about board games. It's a two-in-one. Uh, it's a two-in-one. It's a two-in-one. It definitely is both of those things and that wasn't just me stumbling. I am joined today to talk about the wonderful world of board games with uh, the wonderful Matt Lees. Hello. And the also wonderful, I'm going to keep them at an even keel this time and not pretend that one's ah, more better than the you. other, uh, we have Tom Brewster. Boo. Tom, Tom <laughs> Booster, more like. Tom well, Booster. that is so,
1: this is a level of rudeness that I'm not going to cope with. I'm not going to stand for anymore, <laughs> gang. I th- I'm, I'm, a, I'm a team member now. <laughs>
2: I thought you were going to say this is a level of rudeness that I'm not used to. And I was like,
0: I was ready to be like, well, excuse me, Tom. I think that's not true. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about two games. We're going to be talking about Merchant's Cove, an asymmetrical, weird little puzzle game with a big bit in the middle and a lot of clocks, or at least one clock. Then we're going to be talking a game that is about coffee and is about trading, and it is called, incredibly imaginatively, Coffee Traders, which is a sprawling mass of economic coffee bean mess and animals and aminals. i forgot about the aminals.
2: and uh, what are we going to be starting what are we going to be starting with first tom
1: we're going to be starting with merchant's cove we're going to have our coffee after our main italian style so
2: merchant's cove is an asymmetrical euro game in which all the players in the game 2 to 4 are going to be playing their own little mini game as a means of collecting goods that they're going to take to town and sell to some of the lovely traders and sailors and people who are going to be arriving in town via the medium of boats. This is a game that's quite popular at the moment. Lots of people are having lots of fun with it and we checked it out a couple of times and we have some interesting thoughts about it. I'm going to give you a rough rundown of the structure of the game first and then we can jump into some of the specifics. So the central game, which takes place on the board, which has a, a lovely golden snake serpent thing running around the edge of it as a score tracker, has this set up whereby as people progress through the game and take actions, they're going to be pulling out little meeples from a bag and choosing to place them on one of six boats at the top of this board that then when filled are gonna move down to a limited selection of dock spaces um, that are on uh, the, the merchant's cove. Where these boats go and what colours of people are in these boats affect the goods that people are going to be able to sell at the end of a round. And there's only three rounds, which means whilst you can sit on goods that you've produced for maybe a round or two to get the biggest bang for your buck for them later, eventually you are going to have to sell up everything before the end of the game. And the kicker is that if you can get a boat to land on the correct sort of uh, jetty, full of the correct sort of people then the people are going to act as a multiplier for the goods so there's four slots in the boat if you manage to get all four of the people in that boat being little red warrior people then you'd be able to sell red goods at that jetty for four times the asking price which is super now there's also another element to this and the fact that any boats out of the six that don't make it to the shores because there's only four slots available are going to get those people taken off and they're going to go to the separate merchant guild on the board which is then going to be a factor in terms of getting points between rounds by having affiliations with said factions so already you can see that there's an element of this it's about producing the goods come back to in a second but also it's more about controlling the positions of these people on the boats of ensuring that The boats full of people who make it to the docks to buy goods are the type that you want and also that you are getting an affiliation with the factions throughout the game that's going to get you the most points as the game continues by ensuring that boats full of the characters that you really want to have long term never make it to the shores. And each of the players, whilst they have a very different little game to play, all have one thing in common in the fact that they have a little cardboard stand in front of them with the goods that they're going to be wanting to sell so a lot of the actual game well actually not true a lot of the actual game we haven't got to yet because that's going to be a separate little mini game you're going to play on your board but a lot of the the overarching game is about looking at what other people are trying to do and controlling that and blocking that as best you can whilst also meeting your own needs like looking across the table and going okay well tom is really keen to sell big red treasures if I send this boat over here, that's going to make him real sad.
0: And that core cool puzzle is 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 nice, isn't it? Like there's in, there's interesting ideas in there and there's a lot that, like, yeah, you can already see how you can kind of push things and change the value of stuff. And it's all of those things that make something where you are selling and producing and selling more interesting. If, if everything's nice. got a variable value and you can save stuff for the next round and all of these kind of bits, like that's mm-hmm. nice. that's, that's Absolutely. That's, fruity little decisions right then you
2: tie in the fact that you can kind of hire staff hire crew from the town in the middle of the board which are also going to increase your affiliation with these different factions at the bottom so yeah you could be purposefully making sure that none of the blue wizard types ever make it to their docks and no one can sell their blue goods but because of that they will go to the merchant guild and if you hoover up all of the staff that have great affiliations with wizards then at the end of the game you're going to be getting huge amounts of points whilst everyone else is going to be sitting on loads of blue goods and crying and the third thing that gets quite interesting is the fact that the game is played using a little clock-based rondle going around in a circle with the player who is currently at the back of the queue always getting to take their turn first now that's a mixed bag and we'll come back to but primarily there's something interesting that does unlock is as you go through the game You get the capacity to basically, at two different slots on this rondel, rather than just going around in a clean line, you can take kind of secret space in between. You can go off the clock temporarily and uh, give yourself extra time and potentially give yourself more actions in the round. Doing so is going to make you take a corruption card, which is basically something that if you don't get rid of it, it's going to lose your points at the end of the game. But interestingly, and I thought this is possibly where the interesting peaks in this game um interestingly this also means that you're not passing the part on the circle that would usually see you placing a person into a boat and crucially if you're the person that filled up that boat choosing where that boat docks i found that combination quite interesting of the fact that you can if you want elongate your turn slow things down make sure that you're getting more actions than other players but in doing so you are diminishing your ability to have control over the nature of the port and control over the nature of the main board state, which I found to be quite an interesting decision and working out what was best. Like, is it good to have two turns or is it good to just have the one turn but ensure that I control that that boat lands here now?
0: But, (laughs) but, (laughs) here lies the tension. No, 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 let's let's wait before the but, before the but, let's actually talk about like the promise of this game, right? Right, Because there's a really exciting initial thing here so that's that's so far that's like that sounds like a pretty solid fairly simple but uh, interesting uh euro thing about producing goods and getting them but we haven't talked about goods production and the thing about goods production is that everyone is doing an entirely separate different mini game so everyone has this shared resource of time and everyone has this ability to recruit workers that will slot into a little thing on your board and give you an action that will be multiplied if you get lots of workers and everyone is producing either big or small goods of a particular color
2: apart from that it's all completely different
0: yeah completely completely different and
2: it's interesting it's interesting sorry about sorry do it but it's interesting you say it's an exciting promise because how do you feel about the promise of this game tom i was
1: interested um un- uncertain and then i don't know if it follows through well no 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 i mean i mean like no no but
2: i think that's quite (laughs) interesting because i've got to the point personally with asymmetrical games where i have i have very little expectation of them uh for this Mm. sort of format um basically i think asymmetric stuff can work in some circumstances but um this kind of game where everyone's gonna be doing a, a slightly different thing and playing is not something i think very highly of so i think it's interesting and i think i'm just saying that because i think maybe like my lack of expectations at the start may have colored my final opinions on it
0: (laughs) (laughs) and vice versa yeah yeah i think there's something interesting in that in that like in terms of the promise of it and maybe this is a point for later but like a, a, asymmetries is exciting like it is interesting when you start a game and everyone's got something different to go for and something different to do and so the an easy instinctive thing to be with that is like well the more asymmetry the more interesting it is right and I think that mm-hmm. there is definitely a threshold where you can make it so that you're no longer playing the same game as the people around you which is literally what this is doing. Like the, the core of your game, what you are thinking about the most from turn to turn is the thing that's in front of you that nobody else is doing. And I think that's very risky. Like if we're still talking about the promise, I think that there's potential to do something really interesting with that, but it's a, it's a dangerous ground to tread on.
2: No, I, I agree. And I, I've i got to be honest, before playing Merchant's Cove, when just seeing the premise of it, this idea of it's like it's a... It's a... Asymmetrical Euro game. Th- my immediate thought was like, this is this feels like an answer to a question that no one's asking. It doesn't. I didn't see what the idea of asymmetry actually adds to to a Euro game as an actual system. I didn't really understand why it would exist, and I've kind of come away from it with a similar feeling. But let's first of all go into some of the the different mini games and and how they work. So first of all, uh, the last game I played, I was playing as the Alchemist, which Ava also played as in the first game we played and this is kind of uh ava you say it's a kind of a pared down version of potion explosion which i've seen many times and never played where you're dragging out these little balls from a bag putting them into a vial where they're going to fall down and you're going to be taking uh taking these little balls out in terms of the rows allowing more balls to fall down and fill up the slots and sometimes choosing what you're taking out in a strategic way so that things are going to fall down into position to be better suited for later on you're going to be placing these balls that you're taking out this big vial into separate cauldrons and then doing an action to activate all your cauldrons at once to produce a whole bunch of goods and there's some mechanics involving um black icor balls being wild resources you can spend but then going into your big bad cauldron and if you fill that up with too much bad stuff then it's gonna cost you with corruption and all these bad things and Broadly, as a system, it's a very simple little mini game.
0: I was incredibly frustrated during that first game with this because it felt so utterly obvious what the best move was at any given time just because of the way that the, the marbles had fallen. It was like, okay, that's what I need to go for. And if I can't do that now, that's incredibly frustrating because I have a really miserable turn. It's interesting that you've not played Potion Explosion because I think it is worse. This little mini game is significantly worse if you have played Potion Explosion. Because Potion Explosion has... explosions (laughs) explosions <laughs> and it basically has this thing <laughs> where like you remove one thing and that causes a cascade of other things that let you grab more and more things and if you can line that up you get like the satisfying bejeweled style feeling of like that craps and then that comes and then that comes and then that mm-hmm. comes and this stops short of that this is like ah oh, if if they're arranged cleverly you'll be able to take a few more right but it's yeah. not there's not anything beyond that there's not a level beyond that there's a little bit of planning about what's going to come next but the spout through which they come is has got so few marbles in it that that even only you're only planning like a couple of things ahead and then it's completely random again what comes in
2: yeah exactly exactly and i mean also like you know i think it's safe to say that all of the little mini games um the the multiple mini games that look very different and have different components and different aspects are all roughly as complex as that um the, the captain minigame tom that you've played i've played that one before effectively you move some ships around and then uh, trigger a thing that makes them all kind of harvest stuff it's it's pretty simple it's pretty basic and the most fun thing about it is the fact that you occasionally get to spin a little uh wheel for A little that wheel kind of gives you a slightly randomized <laughs> action which is like it's it's a fun thing
1: but it's again it's not There's not a lot to think about there, right? Yeah, I just, I feel like so strongly that that is what damns the game is that often with this rondel system, you can be waiting a while for your turn and that's fine. I don't mind waiting for my turn in the game, but then when it comes round to your turn, what you do is so simple and so like piecemeal that I've, I never had a turn that I was like, that was satisfying. I just knew that what you know for the captain mini game, you've got boats you send them out and you fish stuff up and most of my turns were just very slowly moving these boats outwards and then taking an action to fish and i knew what the result was going to be and then bring them in and mm-hmm. realistically i could have programmed that you know i could have just said at the start of my turn i'm going to do this 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 and this and then that's going to be my go because at the start of your turn because you have to move these boats around really slowly across the course of a whole ticks on the rondel You end up with a situation where you can't really plan ahead for what merchants come out on the boats. Uh, You get a rough idea and you can maybe spec into something, but then combined with that on the captain's board, you also have these face down treasures. Whilst everyone else gets to take face up um, extra good goods, those those double size goods, the captain is completely blind to those. So you can't plan ahead with what of those you're going to get. You can only plan on the small goods, which are worth less and are less exciting and they're less risky. And I, I just felt this whole time that you've got this game where your own turns aren't interesting. And because you don't know what the other mini games are, other people's turns aren't interesting. Well, I mean, this is, the, so...
2: this, is, this is the crucial the crucial issue for me is the fact that asymmetry in a game that's quite conflict high can be very interesting because you might not exactly understand what another player is doing or how that thing works. But by gosh, you are going to try and work it out quite quickly. You know, you, you are going <laughs> to have a very sharp eye on what are you doing? How are you doing it? And you might need to know the specifics of it. Um, but you have to get a general gist just so you can see danger when it's coming whereas in this there's no reason for me to understand any of what anyone else is doing Um, it just so happened I understood what Tom was doing because I played there as the captain before but at no point during the game did I ever look at his board and I honestly think that the biggest issue in this game by quite a margin is the rondel in the fact that this mechanic of having you being able to take little actions that mean you're more likely to get another action soon or a big action that lets you take an action and then not get a go for a while and you know i kind of don't understand why it exists in this form in this because it feels like they've, they've even toned down the idea of that And the fact that really your options here are either do you want to move one space on the clock or two spaces on the clock. There's nothing that's really like three spaces on the clock in the game as far as I'm aware.
0: There there isn't. But there's also like so the thing that I was playing in this round and that Tom played the previous game um, was the chronomancer. Uh. Who is someone (laughs) who is unable to infuriate everyone else at the table. By being actually, wait a second. We're just going to ignore that rule a little bit because you get frozen time. That means that you can decide to not use the full amount of time. So I had so much. Um, uh, oh god, I've forgotten the word. Uh, Analysis paralysis. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I did, <laughs> but that's 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 unrelated. Sorry. Um, the so much agency. Over what I was doing and what I was doing with time and how many turns I could take at what time and what it, what was shifting with that, which did leave me with a bit more analysis paralysis. So I was slowing th- things down even more by having to think further ahead because I had c- pretty complete control over my board. Like both of the things that you were playing in that last game are somewhat randomised and there's a horizon of how far you can look ahead and think ahead. Mm. Um, whereas with my one like actually you have a lot of control and you're able to milk your know time which means that I could not only be taking longer taking my turns leaving you both stewing and doing nothing and but also being like oh actually yeah I'm not going to take two a time now I'm going to use some of this frozen time so now I'm still on the same set so it's still my turn so I'm taking another turn oh and well, that's got me some more frozen time so I can go and just that i i remember being sat next to tom in the previous game when tom was being the chronomancer and i remember getting so infuriated like not <laughs> because and partly that was because i was doing terribly which i still don't know whether that is uh, me having random bad luck or me being like genuinely terrible at the game that i was playing But with this sort of asymmetry, it's not just a problem if you don't understand people's games, but it is so easy to get incredibly salty about the fact that, like, it feels unfair and there's just no way to trust that.
2: (laughs) Okay, so we got bad, grass
1: is greener vibes from Ava. Tom, what are your your vibes? What's the flavour of vibes? I think the thing that I just bounced off the most was the way that you've got all of these systems and they have this allure of being potentially interesting, but ultimately they're just a little shallower than you'd want to believe when going into something that's promising this level of interactivity and asymmetry that this game is doing. But I think you, you raised a, a good point earlier, Matt, where you, where you were saying that it is also just quite a simple game. And I think maybe our tastes have gone to this point of being like, we like games that are complicated, but I don't, I still wouldn't recommend this to people who are just looking for a simple game because there's enough rules grit in no, there No, I to scare away like a family or something like that. I,
2: right? I 100% agree. And I, I feel like that is, the the core issue this is as you say is the fact that yes you've got this variety but within that variety there's not enough that's interesting it's but then at the same time all of this adds up to have a complexity cost like it doesn't matter that everyone has their own little manual for playing their own little mini game the fact is you've just added a boatload of extra rules into your game so you've you've made a simple game much more complicated by simply having more rules um
1: but then there's no payoff anyway should we, should we have a coffee, Tom? I think it's time for a coffee yeah.
0: break.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, well, that was all awful negative. Let's move on to something that, well, we'll see.
0: <laughs> um,
1: let's talk about Coffee Traders. Uh, coffee Traders is this latest big massive crunchy euro game from uh, capstone games and in coffee traders you're playing a bunch of coffee traders uh, and in this game you're gonna be building these cooperative coffee plantations in the 70s and the 80s and unlike a lot of games that are sort of more just plainly about exploitation and greed uh, coffee traders is still kind of about that uh, but it's got a kind of friendlier sheen because you're building co-ops and you'll get points for building nice stuff like hospitals and fair trade posts, etc. I don't feel educated enough about the state of coffee production to talk about this in any wider sense because there is something that sits a little bit uncomfortably with me that I don't think that industry is particularly healthy and good and maybe this game is reflecting a pretty poor reality but I think it's I'm more inclined to say that it's hopeful rather than lying if that makes (laughs) sense (laughs) um anyway with that out of the way during this game, uh, you're going to be these coffee traders and you're going to play three years and each year is going to have these steps. They're going to have these steps over these rounds and buckle in because there is a lot of... Uh, going on in this game and I'll try and give a co- sort of a, a brief overview of the whole thing um, before we get into it. Um, so the first step on any on everyone's turn is the work phase where you're going to choose some actions and take those actions and they're mostly to do with building and running those plantations I talked about and in short you're taking these little tiles off your board um, to place into spaces on the main board in different colour-coded regions like Colombia, Indonesia, and they've all got a different colour and kind of coffee associated with them and then each tile is going to produce more coffee in that region a little bit later on but also the more of them you have in a region the more you're winning in this area control game for each region which is a huge bulk of uh, endgame points and the other thing you can do in this step is you can stock one of each player's plantations in a region with workers he'll make that coffee plantation produce uh, coffee or you can place donkeys and this will let you place bigger beefier plantations in that region and this starts off easier and gets harder again i'm glossing over a bunch of stuff but we'll get there Uh, You'll then move on to a phase where you use your contractors, which are basically your little workers, to do a bit of worker placement. Uh, You can either use them to go and gather coffee in regions or build buildings in regions like hospitals, like we talked about earlier, or storehouses or fair trade plants or warehouses on your player board. Um, But the other thing they can do, and this is probably the most crucial part of the game, is you can send your contractors out to the regions on the board to collect Uh, coffee and each region is going to dish out coffee based on how many plantations are in it how many are producing that turn and each contractor is sort of claiming a portion of that coffee to go into your reserves but what's important here is that players can piggyback on your actions so you might send a contractor off to go and gather coffee in indonesia and someone else might go hey i want to." bring my contractor along too and piggyback and they get to do that for free you've got to pay and they do it for free you get more of the coffee but you're splitting it between more and more people the more people that go so if a region produces eight coffee and there's just one of you you get all eight but if there's two it's four each and so on and so forth um that's most of the turn structure that's the most complicated part you do this work phase where you build plantations and you do a contractor phase where you go out and gather coffee you'll then put that coffee on your little ledger on your board and then you'll maybe use it to fulfill contracts which are these big bulky contracts that you need to sell them a lot of coffee and you'll get a lot of points and stuff for doing those and there are milestones which are like objectives and there's also tons of other stuff that i haven't talked about but i'm sure we'll get into as we talk about the the, game as a whole the
2: the (laughs) crucial thing is if you haven't followed tom's explanation of the game there then it's fine because you could have followed tom's explanation of the game with the full board and the game set up in front of you and you might have got it but you still would have been breathing out of your mouth quite heavily it is it is it's a heavy breather it's a hellscape it's a hellscape of of things and and it's a very attractive one you've got lots of nice Mm. squares and and cubes and things the colors are lovely i really like the
1: colors there are it does pop off the table
2: it does it's a colorful pretty gorgeous looking
1: thing um and it is quite intensely the the weight of game here is kind of similar to something like another big popular capstone game that we reviewed a while ago called pipeline like that is also a big crunchy game that has very sleek graphic design um or very some very sleek and very colorful presentation but it's it looks like a spreadsheet and it is a spreadsheet this game isn't trying to fool you that it's kind of cuddly and nice it is very much a game about placing things and doing maths and crunching very, very hard to squeeze out results. I
2: don't even think
1: that, that this game is like a spreadsheet. I think that's kind of partially the issue. It's the fact that
2: your little personal player board is set out like a ledger. So it's literally like a little piece of paper with lines and squares and crosses. And that is all very neat and all relatively like understandable. But the main board is all doing these like kind of uh, like amphitheater circles of of decreasing (laughs) spaces going out in and it's very attractive but it it looks like a spreadsheet if you've been hit over the back of the head with a shovel like it's kind of this (laughs) swimming mess of stuff that's quite tricky to keep track of
0: i just want to like also like just while we're talking about those little weird amphitheaters where every different thing has a has a location for the all of the different plantations and they come in stacks so you can build bigger plantations the further up but it's shaped in these semicircles and i'd just like to point out that when quins was teaching us this game like it started off with him saying, oh yeah, so you look at this contract here and whatever's at the top, you put that in the middle and whatever's at the, 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 the one below that you put at the left yeah. and the one you you put at the right. And it's like, that doesn't make sense as <laughs> I'm saying it because you can't see the board in front of you. But also it makes absolutely no sense when you can see the board in front of you. And there was just this moment in the, very early on in the teach where like something incredibly simple <laughs> was just like, Quinn's, what are you even talking about? What the how is there a middle? Like there's there's three lines here. They're all in different places in each of the boards, which looks really lovely, but means, oh, I don't know. It was it was a moment that I felt had a like foreboding, foreshadowing over it.
2: And the fact that they've managed to squeeze so many um Uh, so many little bits of juice out of all of the beans of the theming of, you know, you've got the the Sumatra track which is going to be uh, like having all the different types of coffee getting leveled up to certain levels and if you get them all past this level it's basically wait, wait, like wait
0: wait 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 we got you can't call it the Sumatra track you've got a it, first of all it's uh, it's called the, monk, it? track. Uh, secondly, it's the monk track secondly <laughs> it's, the, Sorry, it's yes. the arabica track
1: and you're getting confused because the Sumatra track is where the civic cats live <laughs> yes of course
2: you, you have civic cats and by placing civic cats in the Sumatra zone you're going to be able to get wild beans at the end of the round. It's just, this is what I mean, is that there is so much coffee in this game in terms of like, well, where can we put more coffee into this? Where can we put more things about coffee <laughs> into this absolutely astounding, sprawling system? It just, it feels like cafetiers of sure in a way. Yeah, of yeah. just like, it's, <laughs> when you're explaining it, it's it's like, is this, is this real? Is this a real thing? And it's like, oh maybe we I... got the civet cats. But then of course, <laughs> I think there was a point towards the end where it was explaining to do with the fact that like, Well, when you do this, you unlock this token. And there's a matching token of an animal and a plant token of the same color. And if you have both of them, that's fine. But if you get a third one, oh no, you have to stack that first token on the
1: second token. But when you have a double pair of double (laughs) tokens, you can hop piggyback over i'd like to like snap it back though that like this sounds like we're just complaining that the game is complicated and busy and there's lots going on and that's like a bad thing i think that we do an all right job of playing pretty complex pretty heavy games and i think everyone did pretty well at coffee traders like we had uh well i wouldn't say a good time we had a strange time with it but everyone got the puzzle and we ended on some pretty high scores and we all felt like we'd done some interesting stuff during the game and there are satisfying systems i quite liked it it,
2: i quite liked it like
1: yeah yeah I, I think there's a lot to like there. I think that it's hugely complicated and there's tons going on and it's very crunchy but I think it might hit this point where so I, I won our game of coffee traders but it was quite painful uh, to win.
0: <laughs> I honest, Honestly though just to, just to jump in very briefly like coming in dead last and not being able to point at exactly the mistakes I'd made and just how much they'd cost me was agony as well so landing <laughs> in the middle people seem to have an all right time <laughs> winning yeah, winning I, cost I you s- your soul and uh losing made me very salty again
1: i, I would say that the, the the bite point is like i'm sure people are going to listen to this and they're going to look at this board and i've seen people on board game geek saying this game is so great because of the burn like because of the crunch because of the pain they like want that level of um of really crunchy chewy decisions and I think that's definitely there I just think for for maybe the whole team's tastes potentially I'm not sure I could be speaking on behalf of everyone that there's a level of perfection that this game demands of you that if you want to do very well if you want to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish you need to play like a perfect game there's very little room for inefficiency or error Mm -hmm. Uh, which is fine like i think i like a lot of games that i like that i just don't know if i like them over the course of maybe three hours of continued burn the whole time
0: and for me there was a kind of there was one of the big problems that i i had with it like i made i made very concrete mistakes that i can point to and i know that like i shouldn't i shouldn't have done these things i had a little bit of leftover coffee and rather than holding it for the next round i sent it off to the coffee shops and that meant that I uh, missed my contracts and if I'd actually done that there was another easier way of making money that meant I didn't need to do it the other way around and blah 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 and it would have been it, I would have got done so much better but I think that there's mm. also a problem in that like it's asking you to play the perfect game right which is a fascinating question and an interesting Um, an interesting challenge, and that creates an amount of burn and amount of stress. But it's also there's a couple of points, like particularly the way that coffee is distributed, and
2: yeah, oh yes,
0: that mean that there's it's not it's not random, right? Because it's what other players do. But the difference between two other players jumping on and piggybacking on your thing, and you going in there alone and no one else coming with, is. It's so big and relatively unknowable because everybody's got a, f- a limited amount yeah. of times that they can do yeah. that and there's only things on the board so the order you do it is critical and it is not easy to tell what co- type of <laughs> coffee other people are going for so it's not mm-hmm. it's not like it was a question of i didn't do enough looking at other people's boards like it is uh, similarly to merchant's groves uh, other people's decision trees are relatively inscrutable for a game that asks you to play such a perfect game
2: I think yeah I think I think really what it boils down to for me is that I quite liked it but as a game in its current state it's it's a sadistic game it's it's a sadistic system and I think a lot of that does boil down to the fact that like you know when people talk about games being too random or having too much randomness it's usually that there's in-point randomness or out-point randomness like either you have something random happen at the start and then you've got to adapt to it or you do everything and you've got complete control and then at the end of it all uh the outcomes are random and different people like different sorts of random some people don't like any of it but most people do like some of it they just don't quite understand which bit they like whereas i think the problem with this is you have these turns which are quite long these three phase turns each round and then you have the randomness bang in the middle yeah so it's like you've got midpoint randomness which means like you have to do your first turn. And one of the things you can do in your first part of your turn is get into debt that you then have to pay off at the end of your turn <laughs> with profits you've made from doing stuff in the middle of your turn. Um So to have all of this crunch and all this hard stuff at the beginning and then in the middle have the randomness and then have to work around that randomness, it's just very cruel, Um, especially when that randomness is not even occurring because people are being mean and stopping your dreams. Yeah. and They're just... People are just running around and grabbing beans, and you're like, "Not those beans!" <laughs> and that's all we have time for today on another of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast podcast edition, the board game show. And yes, a bit of bit of a, a double Debbie Downer there this week. But hey, sometimes games are great, and sometimes games are not what they could be. I'm
1: gonna and, call uh, this we... one the Sad Cast.
2: <laughs> the Sad Cast. I don't think it's sad. I think, to be honest, it's, it's a celebratory thing. We've just we've just saved some people some money, hopefully. The fact that these are two <laughs> games that people are getting very excited about, and I would say both of them, um, unless you've heard everything we say and go, that's all relevant, but does not apply to me, I think I'd be reticent to spend hard cash on on either of these things. I think there are so, both of these things. There, there is
0: some people who are... It's going to land at the right level for us. So, like, I wouldn't say... If, if the things oh, yeah, are really yeah. exciting to you if that sounds like a good thing like absolutely I think there's good times to be had in both of these boxes
2: if you know you know yeah, but exactly. at this point you'll probably know um, anyway that's all we got time for for the podcast and thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week
0: bye Goodbye. Bye.